Together, Together, we, we are, are Gutsy, Gutsy Voices. Voices. So welcome to an exciting episode this week. We are super excited to bring you our first long-distance interview. So we are interviewing Erin DeLuca this week, and in order to do that, I traveled all the way to Chicago, and then we dialed in to talk with Mary over a Zoom meeting and recorded that. So we're really excited to bring this to you this week because this opens up a whole bunch of doors for our lovely little podcast. It does. So it may sound a bit different to you if you're listening. So if it feels that one voice is louder than the other, we had a great big Atlantic Ocean to navigate. So that'll be why. Exactly. All right. Well, enjoy the interview. All right. Welcome, Erin DeLuga to Gutsy Voices. Thank you, Karen. Um, we're so excited to have you here. And for our listeners, just because sometimes there's questions if Mary is in the room or not. Mary's actually not in the room today. <laughs> ah, she's actually on the computer. Um, or we're not in the room with Mary. I don't know how we want to say that, right? But say hi, Mary. Hello, girls. How are you? Good. We are good. Um, and where so- are you? Tell us where. So I am where I always am in Kingston. And where are you? Because this is very exciting for Gutsy Voices. We are sitting in Elmhurst, Illinois, which is a suburb just outside of Chicago. Mm-hmm. So, which is where I grew up. So, um, well, actually, I didn't grow up in Elmhurst, but close oh, right, enough. Right, right. Suburbs of Chicago. So, so we are so excited to have Erin here today. Um, I was visiting for some other reasons, and I'm excited to have the chance to interview Erin because she is one of the gutsiest people I know, and I've known her for quite a while. So (laughs) Erin, will you start and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? Sure. So um, I have been a lifelong educator and um, started my education career in teaching and taught English for many, many years. Um, But I'm also a lover of the fine arts, and my mom is an artist and my dad is a teacher. Um, and one of my brothers is an actor, so it kind of runs through our whole family. Um, now I'm a principal of a pretty large comprehensive high school. 3,000 kids are in the school. And um, I'm very, very passionate about my job um, as a school leader and uh, my job to, to guide young teenagers, adolescents to finding their dreams, finding their passion, um, trying to make that passion a reality. Uh, for them and leading them onto something very successful post-secondary, whether that be college, career, military, um, and actually, so we, on and so forth. Can I pause you right there? Because a lot of our, in fact, the majority of our listeners are located in the UK. Okay. So they might not know the age group of American high school. So will yep. you talk a little, I know there are 3,000 students here, but can you talk a little bit about the age and how yeah. that works? Yeah. yeah. So we have. Oh, yeah. Also, um, they, they also might want to have a more of an understanding about what a principle is. I think I know what a principle oh, is. Sure. Some of us might not know what a principle is. Sure. So um, we have four grade levels, um, and our kids span from age 14 to 18. And so it's freshman year is your youngest um, grade level, then sophomore year, junior year, senior year. And as principal, I oversee all of the programming of the high school. So I have four assistant principals that are um, underneath me, so to speak, in terms of the structure. And they oversee different components of what the high school looks like in the instruction, student services, athletics, and um, and activities and budget. 
So, and I would say it's pro Aaron's, Aaron's job is equivalent to a head teacher of yeah. a secondary school. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. All, All right. right. So, so what is it that you, well, and not only are you a principal and you have this amazing education um, career, but there's another part of you that I think you need to tell our listeners about. And that's about a little bit about your personal life. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I have two daughters and my husband, Scott, uh, is a businessman. So he works with Discover Financial through Discover Credit Card. And my daughters are, Aubrey is 10 and Emma is seven. And both are amazing and extraordinary. Um, I learn uh, more from them probably than they do from me every day. That's for sure. Um, and they're both ca characters. Uh, Emma, my youngest, has Down syndrome. So that's been a real interesting, you know, journey as a mom um, to figure out, you know, how to help her and how to support her and make sure that she knows she's equally as valuable as any other person, um, you know, in society and spreading that message, um, to not only our friends and family, Scott and I, but also to, you know, people that will, you know, listen. So it's been, that's been a huge journey for me and is something that I've really, um, embraced, I think as a parent. So. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and actually, so I think, I, one of the things that I've always found amazing about you, Erin, is that you are incredibly passionate about whatever you decide to take on. Yeah. And so here you are leaving this massive school and also parenting these two lovely ladies and managing this relationship with your really funny, awesome husband. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about how, how do you manage it all? How do you, how do you make that happen? You know, I think it's about prioritizing. Um, definitely family comes first and Work-life balance is really important. I'm at a school a lot. For example, tonight I'll be here all night and tomorrow night and Thursday night. <laughs> so it's hard because sometimes I won't see the kids, um, but I make a point of FaceTiming them, um, calling in and checking in with my husband when he's you know on the docket with them. He travels for his job, so there are times where we're scrambling because we don't really have family that lives too close to us that can help out. Um, but I would say that it is a balancing act for sure. And uh, I'm not always good at it. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes when I'm being the best version of myself here at the school, that I'm not the best version of myself as a mom. And uh, sometimes when I'm the best version of myself as a mom, um, potentially I'm not doing it that as much here. Um, I'd like to say that, you know, 50% of the time I've got both going pretty evenly, <laughs> but um, it's, it's, all, it's been a challenge for sure, uh, definitely. Gotcha. And have you had to, like, what are some of the tough choices you've had to make balancing those roles? I think um, sacrificing certain things with my family. Um, when I came into this role, and this role principal, it, the, the role principal looks different in different high schools. And when I was in the district that Karen and I met each other in, um, it seems that, that the principal was able to have a little bit more balance than potentially this job in my first year allowed um, because it's the only high school in this community. And so you're expected to be everywhere all the time. Um, and so that was hard on my husband and I, for sure. Um, and figuring out how to be present in this job, um, visible, but also not sacrifice my family entirely. Because in my first year, it was, ugh. Yeah, yeah, it was a challenge. Now I'm getting, I've become, I think we both have become much better. And getting through the first year was all the firsts. So we had to get used to that. I say, and Scott is pretty supportive of that. How did he, 
how did he handle that? Did he? Um, I think in our that first year again, it, we 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 argued more than we usually do. Um, it was hard for him because you know having me away so much, a lot of the parenting fell to him in that year. And Emma was only three and a half, and Aubrey was seven and a half. So um, it's crazy to think about how little they were yeah. back then. And Emma comes with a whole um, set of challenges in terms of therapies. And uh, when she was really little, she had a lot of medical issues. So there was a whole lot of trying to figure out the, the balances with that. Gotcha. Yeah. And so do you feel like over the years you've learned now how, how to do that better? Yep. Is that kind Absolutely. of where you're at now? And um, now in reality, I'll be leaving York High School um, in the summer to become the principal of Lake Zurich High School, which is way closer to where I live. And that was part of me saying I needed to put me first a little bit. Um, and my family first and it's a it's smaller it's a smaller school it's got 2,000 kids in it and it's 10 minutes from where I live so I feel like that's going to be really good for the family as well gotcha yeah so so from actually I think oh is that me no oh so <laughs> we usually don't have their beeps I'm in a new place anyway so let's talk then because uh let's talk some more about being a principal because you haven't always been a principal. No. Um, like I said, when we first met, you were an English teacher. So, and I know when I first met you, actually, you were, you becoming an English teacher is actually interesting because that's not actually what you wanted to start out doing no. either. Mm -hmm. so, um, so can you tell us a little bit about your career path to how For you sure. got here? Yeah, so when I started, I feel like I'm in an interview right now. Right, when you, I, are. <laughs> you are, Yeah, so I, I started, I uh, graduated from the University of Illinois in Champaign and um, I had an English major, which was English literature and then a uh, pre-law minor. And so I really thought I wanted to go the police department route um, and then potentially into the FBI. So I joined a um, police department that su the summer after I graduated college and did like ride-alongs and like sniper rifle training and like dog training and cool things like that and then I realized I wanted to move out of my parents house and this <laughs> English teaching job opened in a Catholic school and I was like ah, I'll go try that for a couple, of couple of years I ended up getting the job and then it changed my whole trajectory of my whole career and actually was that working with that was working with your dad yes right? so I so, worked my dad was my department chair for four <laughs> years so he was kind of my boss, right. um, which was 90% of it was great, but then 10% of it not so great. Right, right. Yeah. So, and I was saying, that's ended up why you left Marion, yes? I left Marion because I got engaged to my husband and he lived up here okay. and uh, I was on the south side. So then I ended up getting a job in St. Charles for a year before meeting Karen. And then you came to Wheeling, right? <laughs> yes. So, and then... Um, and talk about what it is, and actually you, you are a fantastic teacher. I still think you're a fantastic teacher. I don't want to make it sound like you're not a teacher anymore, but, um, you're incredibly passionate in the classroom. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about what you loved about teaching and, and what you enjoyed yeah. about that? So I love, love you... literature. Um, but what I really grew to learn about myself is that I love kids. And so um, it was so awesome and inspiring to see when I could motivate them and when I could get the light to turn on for them, even with some of the um, least likely motivated students who may not have seen a future for themselves um, in academics by any stretch. I, I really would kind of make it my life's mission to engage even the most disengaged uh, student and have continued that in these 
different roles of moving into like department chair and then assistant principal and principal and really working with teachers and staff to, to embrace the whole need to foster really solid relationships with kids so that they can see their value and their future. Wow. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and so how did you end up teaching English and Moby Dick and all those awesome things and then say, actually, I want to go into an office and actually step away from that? Because I know that was one of the hardest things for you. That was, that was the hardest thing for me. I get, had a department chair that Karen and I both had, um, Sue, who was a, a very um, positive role model in my life. And she said, Erin, I think you should think about becoming an administrator. I feel like you could do a lot of good things for teachers. Um, and then, in, then by doing that, teachers impacting students. So it was kind of this idea of maybe I can impact change on a, on a larger scale for more kids by being a supporter and cheerleader for teachers. Um, and that was really my philosophy. Uh, I think people go into administration for a variety of reasons. And I think some people do it for the wrong reasons. I feel like some people do it for titles and prestige. Uh, and that's just not who I am. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of times I've seen people's personalities change in these different roles and yes, you yes, know what I mean. Yes, and, um, yeah. and I would vouch to say that if you were to ask the staff here at York or even the staff at Wheeling, when I came back as an assistant principal, that I do not, I don't change my personality or sacrifice my own ethics for a position by any stretch. It's really about supporting teachers and kids. And so... So how do you manage, because basically you've traded grading papers for now going to meetings, you yeah. know, and interacting with kids, with interacting with teachers. Yeah. So how, how do you feel about that loss of student interaction? Because do you feel that loss I of do. student interaction? I, I, do. I don't think there's ever been a day that's gone by where I haven't grieved the, the loss of um, everyday time with a classroom full of students. Um, I have taken it upon myself to get into classrooms quite a bit. And then also to sometimes guest teach with teachers and, you know, jump in on lessons and things like that so that I'm not too far away from the classroom at any point. Because no one likes somebody who's telling them what to do if they haven't been in the classroom for like five years, you know, and they're like, whatever. <laughs> so um, that's been really good. Uh, but I miss it. And I've thought of oftentimes, you know, after retirement, if I continue on in these leadership roles, to potentially go back into a part-time teaching capacity in yeah. high school, oh, okay. like a Catholic school or private school. Gotcha. And so, um, and actually I have to say, one of my favorite principals was actually at Wheeling High School, and I will never forget the day she came into my English class to teach. And I think that's why she was my favorite principal. So I don't know. Who was it? Liz, uh, Liz Ennis. Oh, Liz. Yes. Liz Ennis. Yep. Yeah. Um, so... So you've traded off this wonderful relationship with children and things, which I guess I can identify with. What is it that you now love about, what, what did you get in return from your administrative roles? Or what are you getting in return? I really think um, the support and caring of my staff, um, they have been in all of the buildings that I've let in, been amazing to me. And know that I'm out there trying to impact change with their, their best interest at heart and to support them through it too. Um, and it, and it's not always easy and I feel like they have really appreciated it. So it makes me, you know, want to get up and come to work every day. There are times though, when it becomes more adult centric, I think, uh, in this role than when it is when you're teaching with kids, it can be tough. Um, obviously there's been a ton of challenges in this job, but, um, but the staff and the students believing in me, um, is great. I just had to announce to the 
staff and kids last week that I will be taking on this other job. And I've had so many students and staff stop by and say they're so excited for me, but so sad, you know, to see me go and worried about, you know, what kind of personality the next person will have. Well, and and you talk about the challenges and and how it becomes adult centric. I want to talk about something specific, actually, that you um, and this was actually the thing that made me think of you for Gutsy Voices. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was in your first year, was it your first year here, where your teachers came up with this incredible lesson plan yeah. on the First Amendment, yeah. which anybody who knows me knows how, yes. <laughs> how important the First Amendment is to me. But um, so yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about what happened with that? Because I think what happened there and your reaction to that mm-hmm. was really amazing. So, you know, I think it actually, um, just to rewind and kind of cover what happened. So our freshmen and our, um, for all of our sophomores, the full sophomore class in my second year. So those are 16, 15, 16 15, 16 year olds. We did a interdisciplinary English and social studies, um, forum on first amendment rights. Oh, and we should probably say social studies is kind of like your history and civics. History and civics and English. Yeah. And they did, um, they did an activity where they brought all kids in through class periods into the library and the students were able to go to different stations. One was about um, banning books, one was about controversial rap lyrics, um, and then one was about um, the recreation of Dred Scott who uh, was an artist in 1989. He put the American flag on the ground at the Art Institute. and. Um, we recreated that, but in the planning of it, um, I wasn't necessarily aware that the flag was on the floor. And flag etiquette um, will tell you that the flag should never be on the floor. And so that day, um, it rapidly got out of control. And I, I had a student that was very offended. Um, that was not part of the whole day. He was a senior, so about 18 years old. And he took a picture of it before I, I, I did have uh, the American Legion come in and they respectfully retired it. And then once it's retired, it's, it's burned so that um, once it hits the floor, but it, it, the picture was sent to Fox News. And um, I quickly ended up headlining right after the NFL took the knee. This was the Tuesday after I ended up headlining um, the Fox News and also Breitbart. And so eventually throughout that week, my family, I mean, I received probably... I still get goosebumps even hearing yeah, that. Yeah, like, like probably 50,000 death threats. Um, so at that Friday afterwards, we were actually called by uh, one of our communications engagement people to say that they had gotten word that there was a vigilante group headed to our house in Palatine from California and that we needed to call the Chicago chapter of the FBI to protect ourselves. So there was a lot of... Um, the community got really in an uproar for about a minute, but then when they realized the nation was coming after me, they decided they were, they were on my side, which was thumbs up good. <laughs> um, and, and so they raised like $1,800 um, and bought our staff that Friday breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. And, and brought me tons of gift cards. And my office resembled a funeral home oh, that week. Really? So many flowers were sent to me. Like, but then I said to my husband to make light of it, I was like, well, if somebody does take me out, you don't have to buy any flowers for a funeral because they're all in my office. That's so, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so that was hard. Uh, but what, what was most compelling about all of it is 
what the kids learned from it. And the kids will talk about to this day that the seniors graduated last year uh, that went through this experience is that it was life-changing and it was the most engaging, you know, learning experience that they've, they've had in so long. And um, I had a family that came to me right after it all was over and mom and dad actually at eighth grade night uh, in tears and said, Aaron, our sophomore hadn't talked to us in two years. And he came to us and said he realized that through that forum experience, he needed to find his own courage, strength, and guts to tell his parents who he was. Um, and in terms of his own identity and sexuality. And they, uh, his mom and dad were very, very conservative. And apparently he's very, very liberal and never felt like he could talk to his parents about his own political spectrum and, and all those things and did shortly after that forum and they sobbed they both hugged me and said thank you for giving our son back to us mm. and i was like oh and it was that then that i realized that as much as there was a mistake that was made um, i was gonna say actually i think we need to take a step back because you've kind of glossed over how you reacted because basically people were really upset mm -hmm. that that your teachers had recreated this art Mm -hmm. installation and then you had to come in and deal with this and yep. actually so you talked about retiring the flag which was mm -hmm. the right thing to do for flag etiquette but what did you do regarding your teachers and the actual lesson that they were teaching because I think that's kind of in terms of because uh, well and, and actually what you said to Fox News and to Brian oh, Hart about oh. so the well thing, the interesting so. thing is, is I was never interviewed by Fox News they just put quotes that they made up on the no news. No lie. Oh, I yeah, didn't realize no. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but what I did do is I was interviewed by a lot of um, newspaper outlets that then shared quotes and things like that with the TV uh, yeah. stations. But I took That's full responsibility common, for it. So a lot of the questions that people wanted to know was, whose fault is this? Mm -hmm. And I said, it is mine. Um, yeah. And I stood in the, um, the fire for, for a couple weeks there. Um, with only my name hitting the media. And my department chair for English and my department chair for social studies, they, Mike and Kevin were both like, oh, please, please let us take some responsibility for this. We can't stand that you're getting all of this put on you. And I said, but no, because a good leader would never throw one of their own under the bus. Um, and so I'm to this day proud of that. I could have probably lost my job. Um, but I think too, the reason why you were backing them up, because because I believe in what they were doing. I was just saying, the mm -hmm. lesson there, I think, was what... Yeah, the lesson on students really exercising the ability yeah. to think about their own First Amendment rights and where they fall within that spectrum of beliefs um, and knowing that it's okay to have differing opinions and that valuing each other for each other's unique strengths and differences, despite maybe disagreeing with each other, was really the premise of, of the whole lesson. Okay. And actually, I, oh, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, oh. something that's really resonating for me, Erin um, mentioned that initially when she thought about what her career might look like as an adult, it was to go into the police force. And oh, I was listening to this story for the very first time. And what's really resonating is this idea of, you know, it, it, you're still kind of very much thinking about a law abiding citizen, aren't you? Yeah. Yes. Come through in everything you're telling me. But yes. yeah. Future, but you are looking to create a safe um, a space where people are law-abiding, but but actually everybody's voice matters. Yeah, so everybody's voice matters. That that role that you initially perhaps thought you wanted to do. Totally, that's so true. <laughs> I love it. Well, and I would say yes, that's very much Aaron. Is Aaron is very much about that societal 
creating that society where everybody is involved and yeah. isn't that really what the police are there for to make sure that society is safe enough for everybody to be involved for sure so um actually i did want to go back to and clarify one other thing because you you did mention one mistake was made and i think for our listeners sake we should probably explain what you felt the mistake was was the flag and, being on the floor sure. if it had been raised on a table or other surface it would have um not gained any kind of national momentum the way it did gotcha. um would the lesson have been the same for the kids probably not because i feel like the kids learned even more from how the reaction to me Oh, happened right. and yeah. then they wanted to debrief what happened to their principal in their classes after that oh, wow. so had, yeah. had we we didn't end up doing it the next year because it didn't unfortunately um the district wasn't <laughs> wasn't supportive of that no yeah. no yeah. but i would have what i would have probably done is um combine all of the different written and video reactions to it and yeah. use that as a what happens when you're doing something that's right and people perceive it as wrong mm -hmm. um would have been a really interesting like critical thinking activity but absolutely mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah so so yeah so and actually so now a few years on mm -hmm. do you still feel the effects of that mm -hmm. incident i mean i feel like that gave me a little bit of ptsd um for a <laughs> while i had i had a uh, I have since that happened, developed anxiety. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm pretty much out in front of it and, you know, mm -hmm. self-care and take care of it. But I didn't know what that was until um, the very first time I had an anxiety attack. I, I had no idea what was happening to me. And um, it was probably, it probably started about five weeks after the flag. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's been hard. But um, it's getting further away in the rear view mirror that I feel like I'm doing better yeah. with that but yeah it, that was that was definitely tough and actually has the community does it come up in community things at all anymore um the only thing that they used to joke about was like no one messes no one's gonna mess with her like right. after it happened they're like oh well I'm gonna leave her alone so um not as no they don't bring it up too much that's cool so yeah. it's your own experience and your own anxiety yeah so and and just I'm curious, what do you do? Because you you say you stay ahead of it. So what do you do to try to stay ahead of it? Um, just trying to be able to read my own physical and emotional cues. I think gotcha. is is really how I do it. Because I think that's pretty gutsy too. Yeah. Because I think anxiety is a pretty hard. It is a hard thing to live with for sure. sure. Yeah. So, um, well, and actually, I almost feel bad leaving it there. But I think being mindful of time and stuff. I think there's other stuff that I'd like to talk to you about too, or that sure. we'd like to talk to you about too, because in the midst of all of this yes. happening and you're, you're dealing like the amount of things that you're dealing with as a principal, you do have these two lovely little ladies at home. Sure do. And, and I think your story of being a mom is pretty cool. So can we talk a, a bit about your daughters? And, yes. And so Aubrey's very much like me. She's very, um, she's very driven and she's very athletic. Um, so I was always an athlete and um, uh, a lover of fine arts. So I kind of had a nice blend of there. So Aubrey is a great piano player and an awesome soccer player and a uh, basketball player. So she's got way more like athletic giftedness than I ever did. I just ran cross country and track and then I played rugby. So that was kind of exciting. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then uh, Emma is um, a 
totally opposite of Aubrey in the sense of she's a little dancer. Mm -hmm. She likes to wear sparkly, frilly things, and Aubrey wouldn't be caught dead in anything other than like a hoodie and sweatpants. <laughs> so they could not be more different. But um, Emma's birth, so when I was pregnant with Emma, I found out on Christmas Eve that I had a 1% chance that Emma might have Down syndrome based on a blood test, um, prenatal blood test. And then we went from that. So I decided not to get an amnio because I didn't mm -hmm. want to take the risk um, yeah. of uh, any, any risk with Emma. And then um, we went to a 10% chance. Um, but like all the measurements and all, every she was measuring typically. So they were thinking potentially no, but they have mm -hmm. to like advise you either way. Right. But it was probably in my, let's say my fifth month pregnant that I knew. I knew in my heart that she had Down syndrome. Yeah. Um, and because I, I don't, I can't even explain it. People ask about it. I've thought about writing about it. Um, how did you know? And I, I've said, I don't, I don't know, but it felt different. And I felt like I had to fiercely protect this little person before she got here. And um, I won't, I won't forget it. Scott and I had. Would you say it was a gut feeling? I w it was a gut feeling. <laughs> it was guts. Right. Um, my husband and I had our little Aubrey when she was three at uh, Corner Bakery, a little cafe in Arlington Heights. And um, this beautiful couple came in with their two daughters and their littlest had Down syndrome. And I looked up at Scott and I said, that's going to be us in a few months. And he goes, I agree. Oh, and so we, we got induced the night before my due date and we held hands all the way to the hospital. And I said, are you ready for this? And he said, I'm ready. Yeah. And so then when she was born, I took her, um, they had to whisk her away because she had a lot of complications like pulmonary hypertension and all kinds of complications that happen with kids with Down syndrome. A lot yeah. of times kids have heart with Down syndrome, have heart defects. Emma does not. So we were oh, super nice. lucky with that. But yeah. I whispered to her, I said, I'm going to be your fiercest guardian angel. And I love you. And I'm so glad you're here. And I said, the world is your oyster kiddo. And then they whisked her away. But yeah. it's kind of been my mission in life now as a mom, um, I created and developed these back to school bashes for uh, in district 214 and, and would have thousands and thousands of people come to it. And I invited guest speakers, Nancy Gianni, who's the owner of Gigi's Playhouse and um, ups for downs uh, chapters to create uh, the idea of all of us being accepting and aware of all individuals for their variety of abilities, but specifically raising money for downstream awareness and autism awareness. So it's been amazing. Um, I have been asked before if I would, if I would, could go back in time, would I change Emma's diagnosis? And I would not. Um, she is who she is because of that awesome extra triplicate copy of the chromosome. And I think it is so neat um, to see her grow. And Emma doesn't doesn't look at herself as having a disability. She just looks at it as a different ability, which I think is oh, really cool. You know. Yeah, I don't even know if she knows if she's familiar with Down syndrome. I would say, does she know the name of it? Is it? Or no, oh, I've told her, but so okay, Mary, go ahead. What did you want to say? Something that Karen has never heard before, and that, and I think this might be of interest to our listeners. So, um, when I was a little girl, my very first best friend had an older sister who had Down syndrome. So for as long as I can remember, wow. I've always known somebody with Down syndrome, and then. When uh, my mother was a mental health social worker, 
she just used to work specifically with people with downs and she would so this is a long time ago this would have been back in the 1980s and part of her role was to help down syndrome adults find places to work wow that's and neat in general employment and her retirement party when she was 65 so this would have been probably 25 years ago. She's, she's dead now. She's no longer with us. But her retirement party was just full of Down syndrome adults that she'd worked with. Wow. So I grew up in a household where that was just very much an ordinary, there was nothing different. Right. Um, That's I, so cool. It's really cool because I, I find it very, very difficult when, for me, there was no question mark that you couldn't do what you needed to do regardless. So yeah. It, I find it quite shocking when people still have a problem even questioning will I bring a Down syndrome child into the world and of course we have places like Iceland now where there's so much testing going on so much pre-testing that Down syndrome children are virtually eradicated if they keep they keep on within the next 10 years there will be no Down syndrome people in Iceland I know it's so sad you know I those those that story alone crushes me. And I, I feel like um, the more I try to spread awareness, the more I'm trying to help it in what capacity that I can, because um, I probably was offered an abortion three times during my pregnancy. No. Yes, by Northwest Community. Healthcare. Oh my gosh. Yes. I would say we had the same, yes, we, we had, had the same, same doctors. doctors. Um, there was one doctor in particular in that practice. The rest were not. We will not out that yes, right now. Yes, we will not. Yes. <laughs> um, and so that was so oh. awful because I kept saying, no, no, no. I don't care what she may be born with. It doesn't matter to me. And um, what's sad, though, is, is many, many, uh, way more um, pregnancies with the diagnosis of Down syndrome, don't they don't make it. What yeah. is it that you think people are so afraid of? I think they're afraid of not adequately caring maybe for their child. They're afraid of their child getting made fun of or bullied. Um, Potentially they're afraid of their own inability to be a parent to a child with any kind of disability, but with Down syndrome. What's interesting though, is none of us can anticipate what's going to happen with our children. And you know what, you can have a child that's born completely typical and they can end up, um, you know, and you know, with addiction issues, all kinds of stuff, you know what I mean? Or being in a gang or something like that, where I feel, I think Scott and I think that's the most interesting thing. My husband, Scott, we think that's the most interesting thing about it because Emma, for all intents and purposes, she's going to work really hard. She'll, they, they feel she'll be independent uh, as an yeah. adult. Uh, she'll probably learn how to drive, they think. So, oh, wow. yeah, um, she's going to be able to attend a, actually, a university. Actually, that doesn't surprise me, actually. Yeah. Yeah. When you say that, I think, well, yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. actually, the way you talk about Emma, that it doesn't occur to me that there's anything she wouldn't do. Right. If that makes sense. Right. So so you talk about these fears that people have. And then, is there, did you have those fears? When you were, before Emma was born? Um, no, no, I, I didn't. I, I was, I was, a, one thing I was afraid of and will continue always to think about, which, you know, Scott and I talk about, and he tears up sometimes when we talk about it is any potential um, bullying or getting made fun of that we can't help um, yeah. or we can't change because it happens when we're not there uh, is a heartbreaker because anyone who knows Emma knows she's an awesome kid, you know, and um, 
and Aubrey's such an incredible sister. Like, she is so thoughtful for other children with special needs. Like, Aubrey is the first person to, to volunteer for help, gym, help, gym helpers and all that stuff, lunch buddies, oh, um, nice. best yeah. buddies, yeah. Um, because of having Emma. Um, and Aubrey will be the first to say, if somebody says something about Emma to Aubrey, she'll say, she's just like us. What are you talking about? You know, yeah. that type of thing. Aubrey actually named Emma. Really? Yep. Oh. So when I was pregnant, I talked to her and I said, you know, it's likely your baby sister is going to have something called Down syndrome, Emma, and, or Aubrey. And um, she, she said, well, what is that at three? And I said, well, she, everything's going to take her a little bit longer to do and learn. And um, she'll, she'll be very uh, tiny is what mm -hmm. I have read. Like, and, yeah. and she is a little, she is a little, she's a little peanut. tiny peanut. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she will have to learn how to walk. Um, it'll take longer. Learn how to talk is going to be much more difficult. And so I said, so what would you name her if you know all those things? And she goes, I would name her Sweet Emma. Oh, and that's how, I came oh. up with, that's how I came up with Emma's Blessings page on Facebook. Emma's got her own um, page where I just share a lot of information about Down syndrome and uh, celebrate her milestones and do all kinds of stuff on it. So, yes. and yeah. is that? And actually, I was going to ask you about that too. So this is a good time. Sweet Emma's blessings. Is that still going strong? Yeah. And yeah, I have. Um, let me look at how many followers I have on there. And I know when you started that, you started it with the idea of of it being a place to celebrate all children. Yep. And, and do you find that that's still now all these years later? Is yeah. it still doing that or is it more yeah. into something well, else? Well, I'll say, no? share all of your pictures of your kids at, you know, Christmas or Halloween. And, and so I'll get everybody, you know, I'll get oh, nice. kids that are, don't have any kind of disability, but like I shared this on Friday. Um, okay. Oh, it's a, it's a picture. We'll say it cause yeah, it's a picture and it says, it. I may not, and it's a young man in a wheelchair, a little boy. I may not be able to talk, but I can still see, think, hear, love, hurt laugh and feel mm. please think before you assume yeah so it's you know just things like that to share i feel like is really compelling um and kind of a calling for me yeah there's 1300 members nice yeah so yeah. that's very cool and and then do you find that this is making a difference like do you find that your interactions with other people and interactions with emma do you find that they are more positive? Mm -hmm. Are they? I do. Yeah, I do. Emma has opened the eyes up a lot of people, I think. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And oh, go, go ahead, Mary. I Sorry. think, well, it's, you know, interesting. I wonder if, if many of our American listeners are aware we have a, um, a, a fabulous British actress called Sarah Gordy. Uh, she's an actor. Uh, she's a, uh, an adult who has Down syndrome. And she won. She was awarded an MBE on the wow. Queen Honours List in 2018. So Sarah Gordy does amazing things. Uh, she's an amazing actress who, who has Downs. That is so cool. I'll look her up. And actually, I have to say, having lived here in the States and now living in the UK, uh, it would be interesting for you to come over because I think, I think the UK is much more inclusive as far really? as that. Wow. I do. I feel like it's not even a question. Mm. And people are like you walk down the street and you actually there's a guy who i see almost every day on the school run yeah with my kids and he's off on his way to work and there's no question about it there's yeah. no you know like nobody is stopping to turn whereas i i wonder do people still stop and turn and look yes here yes 
you know, when you're, when you go into a mall or some place sure. in Emma, see, and I, I feel like you don't have that in the UK, which right. is really interesting. And I did, I noticed that almost immediately. When we I told there. a story, I told a story about that happening to me when she was at six months old, I had her in her car seat in the cart at Target. And uh, this woman kind of kept appearing in aisles, like kind of peering into the cart trying to get a look at Emma um, to the point where it was actually like weird. And so <laughs> I finally realized she was very curious and was trying to figure out if Emma had a disability and was so awkward. So I, I stopped and I said, hi, I'm Erin, and this is my daughter, Emma. Are you wondering if she has Down syndrome? And she goes, yes. And she started crying. And she said, I'm so sorry. Is, is this making you very uncomfortable? And I said, no, actually, I'm more than happy to talk to you about it. What is it that you're curious about? Uh, and so she asked me some questions. And then Emma stuck up her little hand and held the woman's finger. Oh, and okay. she goes, she's so beautiful. And she goes, this completely changed my own perceptions of a family with a child with Down syndrome entirely. Yeah. And so she uh, asked to exchange emails and we, we emailed a couple times after that. So she, oh, how yeah. cool. Go I ahead, Mary. I have another song. I think the more we can raise awareness just through parents of, of, of parents of those living that everyday thing, but also, you know, that I think some, for some people that celebrity status, that celebrity raising awareness so we have another um, very famous actress here called sally phillips i don't mm -hmm. know if the american listeners are aware of a program called miranda did you ever have miranda i feel like we do that okay. name sounds very actually no i'm just thinking of sex in the city miranda oh. so yeah <laughs> Uh, one of the actresses in, in Miranda is a, a female actress called Sally Phillips and she has a son with Down syndrome and she uh, made a documentary in 2016 and, and it was basically called Do We Want a World Without Down Syndrome and she went to various countries so this is where I got this information around Iceland and, and indeed people's perception across the world uh, and different yeah. countries to cope with it better but she said very much the same thing during her pregnancy this idea that she was continually asked about yep. and it was almost that was kind of that was the expected thing and I think that's yep. the language that we really need to, to change encourage the midwives and the people within that profession to not suggest that that's what the mother's going to want to do um, right our listeners hearing, I'm sure you could find Sally Phillips. In fact, if you Google Sally Phillips, do we want a world without Down syndrome, you will find articles written in The Guardian. Um, she is a, a really important person to raise this awareness. Oh, read it, yeah. That's cool. So now she's looking it up. So, um, and actually this might be, I, well, and I, I don't know, is there... No, I think this might be a good place for us yeah. to wrap it up today because yeah. there is this idea of, you know, raising awareness and, and actually our listeners might want to go quickly run off and, and look these things up as yep. well. So, um, so Erin, thank you so yes, much. Thank it's you. Absolutely. Nice to meet you, Mary. <laughs> nice to meet you. And how exciting for our listeners, probably not as exciting, as excited as we are, Karen, but that hopefully we have successfully done our first ever remote gutsy voice so thanks for thinking of me you guys with this this is awesome absolutely our pleasure all right 
All right, and so here we are. I'm back in England and lovely Kingston upon Thames, not quite as cold, here with Mary in the same room. <laughs> and we're just reminiscing about our lovely chat with Erin. So, Mary, I'll let you start this week. What'd you think? I thought she was a really feisty woman. And it was so. really interesting for me to listen to two American voices and two American voices who clearly know one another very well. And I really hope that our listeners enjoy listening to that intimacy between you because it's quite apparent um, that that trust between you uh, uh, to be part of that was was a, a real privilege, actually. So thank you. Thank you for saying that. Erin um, is a very good friend and it was lovely to be in the same room with her again and to chat with her. And actually, to be honest, we haven't talked a lot. I hadn't talked to Erin a lot about her children. Mm. So for me, hearing her story and, and hearing her experiences of being a mother to Emma um, and, and Aubrey, for that matter, and, and the kinds of things that she's had to go through behind the scenes, because I think Erin is a good one to put on a brave face. And I'm really, I feel really privileged that she opened up with us yes. on her interview here and told us about these struggles. Yes. Um, a lot of the ones about the school and the freedom of speech issue, I kind of knew about, but the stuff parenting-wise, um, that that was really enlightening to me, and it was nice to to see that side of her mm. and and for her to be a little bit vulnerable and gutsy with yes. us. So. And I think it was really lovely to to be able to kind of introduce to her. I could I could tell that she was fascinated to go back and look up Sally Phillips and some of the talk around Down syndrome that happens in this country and the similarities. Exactly. Um, well, and, and it didn't occur to me the the big difference, but oh gosh, I'd love for her and Emma and Aubrey and Scott to be able to come and see what life is like here. Yes. And and the differences. I think that would be really cool. So we are at one of our favorite times of the podcast. It's time for the inspired music choice. So Mary, what what song were you inspired? Well, I listened to Erin's story and she's clearly does things because she's passionate about them. And whether that's because for the love of her family or for the love of her community or her love of law and order and freedom of speech, I think the song that springs to mind is You Too, In the Name of Love, which was actually written in recognition to Martin Luther King. Oh, gosh, what a lovely compliment for Erin. Um, I, I think that's a great choice. Thank so you. again, we will put the show, uh, put a link to the song in the show notes. So please go have a listen and, and think about Erin and Mary and how, those, how that song connects. And then um, this week, we'd like to end our show a little bit differently. So we want to thank, we realize that um, we have a wonderful group of listeners. In fact, we're so impressed in, um, on our stats. We've got people from all over the world listening, and I think that's amazing. And I'm, I, I'm excited because there's so many people coming back. But in addition, just to people downloading the podcast, people have been really great about leaving comments about how the episodes resonate with them. And so we thought we'd start sharing a few of those comments at the end of our podcast. So today, we have a lovely comment from Concha, who um, left this on Facebook about our interview with Miguel in episode four. And she said, it certainly resonated with me and my experience when I first came to this country at a similar age, just 19. And when I moved back in my late 20s, there was so much promise then as Spain had just joined the EU how things have changed. So thank you, Concha, for leaving a, a comment for us in Facebook. We really appreciate you listening. Yes. And we hope you liked today's episode as much. 
And to all of our lovely listeners, we want to encourage you to be gutsy. Yes, leave and a comment because for some people, even just leaving a comment on a, in a, on a public platform like Facebook, they feel they're going to be judged or they say the wrong thing. And it really is about having your voice heard. So even if that's your step to being braver and gutsier, we would love to hear you. Nobody's going to judge you. Exactly. And so you can leave those comments both on Facebook and on our Instagram feed. And we'll start sharing those at the end so you can see what other people think as well. So thank you again for for tuning in. And we look forward to seeing you back here real soon. Um, Oh, and I would be remiss not to say thank you to Will Bourne, our producer, and to Mary, my lovely co-host. So thanks so much. And we'll see you back here next week. 